to the Savings Angel Show. I'm Josh Hillage, the Chief Executive Angel at SavingsAngel.com, podcasting to you from the sunny city of Orlando, Florida. I'm an extremely busy consumer expert, money-saving advocate, syndicated newspaper columnist, and the guy that turns digital entrepreneurs into media celebrities at upmyinfluence.com. I love what I do, and I can't wait to get going on today's episode. Now, in order to help you save more, earn more, and live more abundantly, on today's show, I'll be covering four ways to save money with store brands. We'll talk about how to maximize your 401k, and then I'm going to share five practical secrets to landing your dream job. So if you're ready to save more, earn more, and live more abundantly, let's get to it. Well, let's talk about four ways to save money with store brands. Now, name brand products are heavily advertised, so it's no wonder that many people are brand loyal. However, name brands are not always inherently better or higher quality than store brands, and switching to store brands can save you a whole lot of money. That's why I have four ways to save money with store brands. Number one. Find the factory location on the label. Now, many store brand products are actually manufactured in the same factory that produces the name brand product, but labeled separately for store brand and national brand. Now, if you look for the product location on the store brand label and it matches the one for the same name brand product, there's a very good chance it's the exact same product. Now, this is a great way to save tons of money without even noticing a difference in the product. Number two, make label comparisons. Even if the manufacturer is not the same, the store brand product may still be incredibly similar to the name brand one. By comparing the ingredients labels, you can see how similar the products are. Ingredients are listed in the order of the largest amount used in the product to the smallest amount used. Now, for example, when you see wheat listed as the first ingredient, that's the main ingredient, and the product contains more of that than any other ingredient. So, as you compare the ingredients list, if they are all the same, listed in the same order, you can be fairly certain the products will have very similar tastes and textures. Now, many store brand products will also have a label on the front that says, compare to dot, 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 and then mention a well-known brand. When you see this label, you can be certain that the product is very similar in quality to the national brand. Now, one thing that I've heard from doctors, and I've asked them about this, I've heard this, it's absolutely true. I've got a brother-in-law who is a doctor, in fact, and I asked him this question. I said, do you buy name brand drugs when you need them for OTC, over-the-counter drugs, or do you just get the store brand? And he said, yeah, it would... He goes, as you, when you're a doctor, you know, it's just the it's the effective ingredient. That's all you really care about. And so you certainly don't need any additional colorful packaging to make the drug work any better. Now let's get to number three. And I want you to try several different store brands. Now, some store brands are better than others. And finding a store brand you like may be as simple as changing where you shop. If you know you don't like the Walmart brand, 
try buying the Target brand. If Target still disappoints you, move on to the next store. Now, this takes a little bit of trial and error, but you'll soon find a brand you're happy with. Now, many shoppers report actually preferring the store brands of certain products from stores like Aldi or Trader Joe's to the national brands. Stores like these sell only a few brand name products, with most of their products sold under that store brand. Now, because their business model is built on the concept of saving money with store brands, these stores' brands are often superior to that of major retailers. To further back their store brand products, they also often have a money-back guarantee if you're unhappy, so no harm in trying them. And finally, number four, look for sales and use coupons. Coupons for store brand products can be hard to come by, but they still exist. Several stores offer digital coupons through their app or loyalty program that includes coupons for their store brand items. Now, these coupons combined with the already lower prices of store brands allows you to save some big bucks. And of course, if you've tried lots of store brands and still prefer the name brand, you can save money by pairing sales and coupons. Now, swagbucks.com has coupons for tons of name brand products. Look under their shop section and choose grocery coupons. Now, store brand products often have a bad reputation of being inferior to name brands, but often the only difference in the products is advertising, branding, and labeling. Now, by trying out these few tips and tricks, you can be well on your way to saving tons of money on store brand products while still enjoying name brand level quality. And saving tons of money, well, that's absolutely part of living abundantly. All right, and Chris Costello, you're one of the founders of Bloom, and that's is it, by the way, is that the proper pronunciation? I feel like when there's three O's in there, I should refer to it as Bloom yeah, or feel something. Feel free to spend as long uh, as as much as time on those O's as you want to. <laughs> <laughs> so where did the, where did the name come from? You know, I wish there was like this really cool reason behind it. Sometimes we make a joke about it and we say that the, the only way you find out the true story is you got to come work for it with us at Bloom. But but the truth of the, of the matter was we started the company. Actually, almost exactly five years ago. And we had the company for about, I don't know, six months or so before we even had a name for it. Um, because we wanted to, like, we, 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 myself and Randy and Kevin, the, the three founders, like, we really wanted to make sure the name was right. And so, I mean, we probably went through, brainstormed a thousand different ideas. And the problem, Josh, is like almost, I mean, not almost, every single word in the English dictionary is already taken like from a web domain perspective at this point you got to resort to these words that don't exist and so bloom has a lot of parallel connotations in terms of what we're doing obviously the work we're doing with people's you know retirement nest eggs i'd love to have bloom with two o's but today that's an online cosmetics sales or some type of online cosmetics company's got bloom so we had to stick an extra o in there and then amazingly Bloom with three O's was being squatted on too. Someone in Europe had Bloom with three O's. We had to pay five grand even to get this name, a word that doesn't even exist. Well, let's talk about what Bloom is uh, because, Chris, I love what you're doing. I love what Bloom does. It makes so much sense to me. And it's one of those things that, I mean, it it totally, totally fits in with the Savings Angel lifestyle about just being aware 
of what's going on in your life, particularly your financial life. So can you kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of, of what Bloom is and how it works and, and why every single American needs to use this service. Well, yeah. And Josh, if I can, maybe I'll even, I'll even start maybe even a bit back further to kind of set the table for why we started Bloom. I, I, I often think that the why behind this uh, is, is the most important part. And then I can, I can certainly explain what it is that Bloom's doing for, for folks today. Before Bloom, uh, this goes back to the mid 1990s. I've been a retail face to face financial advisor, and um, myself and and one of the other co founders of Bloom, Kevin, he and I started working together in the late 1990s, and we carved out a niche in our hometown of being very good about helping people prepare and then make the transition from work life into retirement. And so all the things from a planning perspective and investing perspective that you'd need to be versed on and educated on, those are things that that we we made our specialty. Over the years, as we got more experience and more credentials, I'm a certified financial planner, the natural thing that tends to happen is you actually start to raise the account minimum, if you will, meaning that towards the end of my time as a face-to-face advisor, Josh, if you didn't generally have at least a million dollars in your investment portfolio, there's a good chance that I probably wasn't going to meet with you. Um, I was very polite, but I'd find a way to disengage and, and spend my time trying to find people that had millions of dollars to help. We built a pretty good business on helping people that were generally worth a million dollars or more. Here's the problem, though. And the thing that nagged me is that my own mom and dad technically didn't qualify, even come close to qualifying to be clients of the firm that I owned, that I started that last firm. And let me make something very clear. They were clients. They were my mom and dad. I'm not a jerk. So I was uh, I was definitely helping them. But you know, they, they did not have much uh, saved for retirement at all. And had it not been for me, being in the business, being a financial advisor, my parents would have had no access to help, to professional help, to try and help them grow their nest egg. Because guess what? My mom and dad, like most people, they wanted to retire at some point too. You know, they didn't want to just assume that they're going to work for the rest of their life. As you know, we're building that firm and it was successful and whatnot. I mean, like there's this thought in the back of my head that like something wasn't right. That the firm that I'm a part of is excluding people that arguably need the help the most. I mean, the people that we were helping were great folks and they had done a great job of saving money, but they were going to be okay, man. They were all right. They were, they were about to hit the finish line with a, a million or $5 million. And, uh, and so that, that was something that, that bothered Kevin and I. The other thing that, that happened to us anecdotally in those whatever 15 or some odd 18 years before Bloom was that we'd be out living our lives. You know, we'd be at our kids' soccer games. We'd be standing in our cul-de-sac doing whatever and inevitably, the conversation would come up, you know, my neighbor or somebody, you know, a parent on the soccer team, they'd, they'd, we'd, we'd get to talking and they'd find out that I was the financial advisor. And then here's, here's a conversation that I feel like happened, gosh, I don't know, a hundred times over like a 15-year time period. They'd say, so Chris, so, so you're a financial advisor. I've got this thing at work. I think they call it like a 40K1. Yeah, that's it. And, and and obviously that's not what it's called. Th- those things are terribly named, but uh, they're called 401ks. 
and they'd say, you know, I've got this 401k one and I'm pretty sure that money's, you know, being taken out of my paycheck and put in this account. But I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be managing that. I don't know if my employer's managing that. My accounts with Fidelity is Fidelity managing that. You know, I'm not sure if I've got the the right investments in my in my account. You know, how much in stocks versus bonds? And they'd say, would you would you mind just taking a look at this thing for me someday and just give me your thoughts on it? And I'd say, of course. You know, just send it. Make, make a copy of your of your statement. Email it to me. I'll take a look at it. And when I do that, it felt like eighty or ninety percent of the time. I'd look at my friends or my neighbors or whomever, a colleague's 401k, and it was a complete disaster. Like it was just a random smattering, like someone had just vomited on the paper, random mixed, no strategy, an inappropriate balance of stocks versus bonds. And I'm like, this is important stuff. Like I know this person, this is their biggest financial asset. You know, this is where the, yes, they own a house, but like this is where a bulk of their wealth is inside this account. And this thing needs to grow so that at some point my friend has the ability to stop working at some point. And so I'd email them back my suggestions for how they needed to allocate and invest that account and then assume or hope that they'd then take that themselves, log into their 401k platform which is oftentimes insanely complicated and hope that they'd log in and make those changes. And so I share that with you because the combination of, you know, this feeling that it just wasn't right, the feeling that the financial services business model was flawed in that the people that I thought needed my help the most were the least likely to ever get my help. And it wasn't just me. I mean, it's the financial industry as a whole, that number one. And then number two, seeing firsthand over you know a decade and a half, how many of my friends and colleagues were screwing up this incredibly important asset. And keep in mind, I, I like to think that I ran around with uh, you know a fairly astute group of people, college educated, doing well in their careers, and, and they were making a mockery out of these 401k accounts. And I'd say that with them sitting in the room right now, they'd freely admit to it, you know, um, that they didn't know what they were doing. So those really became the two reasons behind why in early 2013, we started Bloom. And I can tell you actually the, the, the quote in an email that literally started us on this journey to build this company, Kevin late one night emailed me and he said this, he said, Chris, Wall Street has made a habit of running in the opposite direction of people with small accounts. Maybe we should build something and run towards them. And Josh, every time I say that, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because like that to me says it all. You know, we entrepreneurs here in the middle of the country wanted to attack this massive problem. And this problem is all about Access. People, if you're not wealthy, if you don't have enough commas in your account, if your account's not big enough, then then you're forced to DIY it. And that we just think that there are certain things in life that you should not have to, to go about yourself, you know, DIYing it. You know, I'm fine to DIY my daughter's, you know, putting together my daughter's dollhouse with the terribly written instructions that have been translated through three separate languages. And I think there's some people out there that are even willing to change their own car oil, but there's things in life like, you know, if you have an appendicitis 
and you need to have that thing uh, surgically taken out, you need to have an appendectomy, I think most people know that, that they're going to be able to go to a hospital and they're going to be able to get that done. Imagine if you went to that hospital and you had to show some proof of qualification, like you had to show a net worth statement before the surgeon would, would operate on you. And if you didn't have enough in your account or you didn't have a big enough net worth, you were given a brochure on how to perform your own appendectomy. I mean, imagine if that was the case. And, and, and that, sounds, that sounds like lunacy, but that is what's happening in financial services today. If you don't qualify, the only other, if you don't qualify to get in front of a professional qualified advisor, then the only other option is you got to figure this out yourself. And some people are okay doing that. There's definitely some people out there that are confident and capable of managing their own, their own accounts and more power to them. But we know for a fact that most people in this country that are, that are not wealthy, that don't have millions of dollars, are not comfortable or confident trying to manage something as important as the nest egg. So that's the big kind of long-winded story of the why behind Bloom. So what is the heck that, that Bloom is doing? So we know that our target demographic, which is middle-class Americans, many times their biggest, most important financial asset in their life is their workplace retirement account. Often 401k, if you work for a non-for-profit, it could be a 403b. If you work for the government, it could be a TSP. Those are the three main ones, the 401k, the 403b, and the TSP. There's about 90 million Americans at this very moment right now that are participating in one of those accounts. And in early 2013, when we were thinking about how could we build a technology tool, a service that we could scale to reach that specific demographic, the people like my mom and dad, we knew that, or we looked around and we saw companies that were some other robo-advisors, which is a broad category that Bloom is in, you know, like a Betterment or Wealthfront, they were not touching individual 401k, 403b accounts at all. They had not built anything for people with those accounts. And so they were, again, this, this big segment of the population, this big middle class was not even a candidate to be a client of those firms. And so we embarked on a journey to build a tool a very simple tool that anybody with one of those retirement accounts could come, take about four or five minutes, first of all, get a totally free analysis of the health of their account. You know, using the, the name Bloom, we use an image of a flower to convey the health of someone's account. So anybody in America that's got one of these accounts can come to the Bloom website and in about four or five minutes get a totally free analysis on the health. Is your account invested properly. So the same thing like in my story when I was telling you, you know, my neighbors would ask me to look at their account. This is the same thing that's going on, except it's just happening in four or five minutes and it's happening at scale with technology. And we will show you if you've got the right kind of diversification. We'll show you if you've got the right mix of stocks and bonds because that's critical. And we'll also show you what kind of hidden fees that you're paying in your account, what, how much of your money is getting robbed by hidden fees that are in the account? Everybody's 401k has hidden fees. Almost nobody knows what they are. Wall Street's done a great job. The investment industry's done a great job of making that incredibly hard to figure out what you're paying on your money. But Bloom can do that and we'll show you that for free. And then if you're like, you know what, if I'm being honest with myself, this is not something that I want to handle myself. I love it. 
if, if I could hire somebody to take care of this for me. So the same kind of things that I used to do for somebody with millions of dollars, we've now baked into algorithms and we can now do that same type of portfolio management for your 401k. No matter your account size, doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter where your 401k is held. If you decide to have Bloom manage it for you, you don't move your money because you can't. It's got to stay in your 401k. We go into your 401k and manage it for you. And we charge today less than what most people listening are probably paying for Netflix. We charge $10 a month. I think, Josh, didn't Netflix just raise their price from like 10 to 11, 11 bucks a month or something? Is that correct? Yeah. So it's, so now I'm less, less, now I can say less. We used to say we're the same as Netflix. Now I can say less than Netflix. So for $10 a month, Bloom will professionally manage, monitor, adjust, tweak as needed as the markets change as you get older, your account, and that $10 a month, you get access to a Bloom advisor. So if you've got any money-related questions in the world, they're free game to ask a Bloom advisor. And the only thing we ever charge wow. is 10 bucks a month. All right, Chris. Well, you have absolutely wet my appetite, and I've got several more questions. Uh, if I'm truly looking out for my Savings Angel listeners and helping them, making sure that they are reducing their fees and and really having their 401k better managed, can I have you back again um, next week so we can we could talk more about this? Because it sounds like there's a lot to cover here. Of course. I've never been known to, to be somebody who is uh, short-winded, so I would love to come back next week and continue this chat. Brilliant, brilliant. So Chris Costello, you're the founder of Bloom. And what I would recommend for the person who's listening, if you want to get a head start on this, you can go right now to Savings angel.com And if you scroll down on the right-hand side, you're going to see a large image that talks about better managing your 401k and reducing fees with Bloom, click on that. And we have an article that is going to go through a lot of the points of what you should be doing and why Bloom makes sense for really every single American. Anyone who has a 401k, it's a no-brainer. You know, I, I am a huge fan. Uh, once I learned what Bloom does and how little it costs $10 a month. It is absolutely no brainer. Go to savingsangel.com, find that image, find that blog article, and please share that with a friend. You listening to this, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're getting this information, but really abundance truly happens when, when we share it. And so whether that's just your loved one, your spouse, uh, who needs to march, it, not march into HR, they, that, Chris, they can, they don't have to necessarily disrupt anything, right? With HR, they mean, you can just sign up for the blue service. Nope. Come to the, go to the blooms, go to the, go through your link, go to the bloom site takes four minutes. There's yeah, it, it's a super easy, painless process. The hardest question we ask is when would you like to smash your alarm clock? <laughs> I love it. All right. So Chris, I'm going to have you come back next week and we're going to chat more about this because I, I, I'm really, really, really passionate about this. It's a simple area or it's, a, it's an important area in our life that I think you guys have really created a very, very simple solution. And, and I'm very, very excited to, uh, to continue this conversation. Awesome. Happy to do it. I would love to thank Chris Costello and Bloom with 3Os.com for sponsoring this segment. And thank you so much for being a, a great partner. I absolutely love and believe in Bloom. Thank you so much, Chris. 
Now, one of the things that gets me out of bed every day is loving what I do. When you want to live more abundantly, loving what you do goes a long way. Now, if your job is simply a job, keep listening while I let you in on five practical secrets to landing your dream job. Now, in today's competitive economy, landing your dream job can seem like just that, a dream. However, if you're diligent in using the tools available to you to showcase your talents and communicate your willingness to serve, you can stand out from the crowd. Here are five practical secrets to landing your dream job. Number one, show confidence. Most interviewers decide within the first few minutes of meeting you whether or not they want to hire you. It's absolutely true. Put those odds in your favor by making a great first impression. Dress nicely for the interview and be confident in your body language and facial expressions too. Take care not to frown or look annoyed when answering questions as this can be an off-putting, unconscientious reaction to difficult questions. When you're confident, the interviewer will pay more attention to your skills and qualifications. Number two, indicate how your skills can serve the company's needs. It's not enough to just list off all of your skills and qualifications. Determine the types of skills that would be useful to the company. Then, indicate your skills in a way that emphasizes your desire to help the company meet their goals. Personalize your qualifications as much as you can, too. Tell a personal story that illustrates and demonstrates your abilities and how they can serve the company you're interviewing to work for. Number three, proofread all documents. You'll fill out a lot of paperwork over the course of the hiring process. Even if the job has nothing to do with writing or education, make sure all written forms of communication, including emails, are free from grammar and spelling errors. When there are glaring errors in these documents, it makes you look both unprofessional and uncaring, and it distracts from your overall message of competence and reliability. Now, many employers take what you send to them as a sign of how you'll be on the job. If you don't seem to care enough when you're trying hard to land the job, how much are you really going to care when you actually have it? So have another person proofread your documents. If there's no other person around to help you out when you need it, use one of the many free grammar and spelling tools available online. I personally happen to be a big fan of Grammarly. Now, in connection with having professional written communication, avoid using emoticons or emojis in your messages. Even if it is in your personality to use them, and even though in today's society most people do use them, you don't know yet if the employer views them as acceptable and fun or unprofessional and out of place. It's best to err on the side of caution and leave them out. Number four ask questions. At the end of the interview, the interviewer will likely ask if you have any questions. It's important to use this time to show your genuine interest in the job, the company, and the industry. However, resist the temptation to ask self-serving questions about pay and benefits. Instead, focus your questions on the needs of the company. 
Ask about the future of the company and how you can help them reach their goals. Now, this reiterates not only that you're genuinely interested in the job, but you're also a service-oriented individual who will work well as part of a team. Number five, curate online portfolios. Now, in today's digital age, potential employers look at more than just your resume. They look at online profiles like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or even personal blogs to get more of a picture of who you are and what experience and skills you bring to the table. So use this to your advantage and cultivate a multidimensional representation of your abilities. Make sure your online profiles include a curated portfolio of your work so employers can see your qualifications firsthand. Present this portfolio in a creative way so employers see you are more than just a set of skills and are a person who would be enjoyable to work with. Now, one caution about online social media and portfolios, just as potential employers will use them to see suitability for their business, they will also look for potential red flags about your tendencies and personality. If you've ranted too often or have posted yourself acting in dangerous or unbecoming ways in the past, clean up your social media by removing old posts that could hurt your chances of landing that dream job. And you getting that dream job? Well, that is absolutely part of living abundantly. Now, if you've loved hearing everything on this podcast, would you take a minute to leave a five-star review in iTunes? It's super easy. By doing so, you help us get this podcast out to more people. The higher our rating, the more we're noticed. And as always, if you have any specific questions or if there's something you'd like to hear me talk about, you can drop me a comment in the podcast feedback, write me on my Facebook group, we've got a private one, and you're invited. Or you can call my podcast hotline at 407. 205-9250 and leave me a message. I'll answer your question, write you back, or with your permission, I might even share your question or story with others on this show. Pretty much everything that we deliver has something to do with a question that one of our audience has asked us. With that, have a wonderful week full of saving more, earning more, and living more abundantly. And thank you for listening. once told me the world is gonna roll me i ain't the sharpest tool in the shade I saw a smash mouth at disney world yesterday that's pretty good